beautiful people, welcome to the 45th episode of the podcast. <laughs> Honestly, I can't believe we're so close to 50. It's insane, it's very impressive. When I started this project, I never imagined how many episodes I will do, so this is pretty exciting. Project 50 will come up in the next several years, I'm probably 23 years. <laughs> 50 episodes, 45 episodes too, like it's really cool so thank you for being here and for tuning in and if you are new here thank you very much for being here as well i hope that you enjoy this episode and actually i'm sure you'll enjoy it because i have a wonderful guest her name is alan wilson also known as birdie so that's why the episode title is called birdie wilson and you know birdie isn't afraid to experience new things. At 34, she has done a little bit of everything. She has worked as a pilot, as a yoga instructor, as a barn manager, an animal care attendant, and more. However, she doesn't like to be defined by her line of work or put labels on herself, which is obviously very understandable. You know, we're all complex human beings and I don't know how much it helps to put labels on ourselves. A little more about her beyond her titles is that she enjoys connectedness, writing poetry, and spending time in nature. Birdie is also a proud auntie of 10 and recently graduated from a Bachelor of Arts in Professional Communication from Royal Roads University where I met her and thought she was super cool, and that's why I asked her if she'd be interested in coming into the podcast, which she did. <laughs> and, well, some of the topics that we talked about were quitting the hustle mindset, the value of connection within our environment, the importance of turning into oneself, the reciprocal relationship between humans and nature, and much, much more. Birdie has a very poetic way of describing how she feels or what she has done, and it was just very soothing to listen to her. I really enjoyed her calm and grounded energy, especially because I'm a little cray-cray. <laughs> so I really hope that whatever you are, any time of the day you're listening, that you enjoy it. Project 25 was born out of the obsession that we have with figuring things out. Being a 25-year-old or a 20-something is a lot. It's fun and exciting, but also confusing and weird. It's an age where we realize that maybe the goals we had for ourselves weren't really ours to begin with, an age of tons of learning and unlearning, and an age of frequently asking ourselves, what am I doing with my life? And that leaves us with a lot of uncertainty. I'm Andrea Juarez, and I created this project when I hit my quarter-life crisis. <laughs> Looking for answers, I decided to ask my family members, friends, and people I admire about their experiences being 25, what has changed, what they've learned, and their advice for the new generation of 20-somethings. Welcome. 
to Project 25 and thank you very much for being part of this project. I'm very excited to interview you. You know what? Because when we started at Royal Roads, I think it was Barb's class and we had to do like a summary of our lives in like a collage or something. And you had all these amazing pictures and this amazing... You were a pilot, weren't you? Yes. And I... I mean, I guess in some categories I still am, but I've spent the the last 12 years, that's been my main career title is pilot. So yeah, flying airplanes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just thought it was so cool. And I was like, wow, like this is so amazing because we all had like our careers in comps and I was like, whoa, like I wonder what led you here. And, you know, I was curious. I don't know. Maybe I was like too shy to ask before, but I like, like ever since we connected last year in our intensive, I was like, yeah, I'm going to ask for she'd like to like come to the podcast and chat <laughs> yeah no absolutely thank you for having me and I mean school's such a it's such a war right like it just it goes by so quick and sometimes if if people are in your paired groups then you get to spend time with them and get to know them a little more but otherwise you really have to make an effort to to have contact and communication with each other because life's so busy so it is it was really nice to connect with you over the intensive and I'm happy to be here it's definitely a convoluted story <laughs> but um yeah I I think that's life for the most part so well thank you again and now it's a tradition of the podcast you, if you heard some episodes you probably know but I'm gonna ask you for your age and titles and how will you describe yourself I am currently 34, so I'm in my 10th year following being 25. And titles, ooh, I would say undefined. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm very hesitant to, since I kind of changed, I had the idea to change maybe my career and stop being defined by being a pilot. I've, I realized I have uh, more awareness of how I have uh, avoidance of putting myself in, in a bracket or a label or something like that but I've worked as a pilot I've worked as a yoga instructor currently I'm working as a barn manager I look after horses all day so yeah a bit of an eclectic gathering of things but I'm recent graduate of a BA of professional communications from Royal Roads which I'm very excited about to be finished we did that program together and still figuring out what's next and then a fun fact about me I am an auntie 10 times over so I have no children of my own at this point in life, but I have the luxury of being an auntie to 10 different, wow. very, very different little humans of all different ages. So that's been, that's been a lot of fun in my life. Yeah, it's nice to be the auntie because you get them like for the fun and stuff and then you don't have to deal with the rest. Like that's my experience. Yes. Yeah, you get to show up with, you know, treats and fun activities yes. and yeah, and then hand them back for bedtime. So it's uh. <laughs> It's definitely the easy end of the of the deal, yeah, to be an auntie and not a parent. Hundred <laughs> percent. And Bertie, I'm just gonna start by asking you, because you just mentioned, you know, the several roles you've had in your life and some of the titles. But now I wanna focus on when you were twenty five. So what did you do back then? Where were you working or studying or hobbies? Like yeah, what did you spend your time in? 
Oh, I have to say it was very fun looking back over my life in preparation for this conversation and really kind of dissecting the facts of like what I was doing over the years and figuring out where. But when I was 25, I was actually living on the same property I am now looking after the horses. I was also working as a flight instructor. So I was in my maybe fourth or fifth year as a flight instructor. And that was out at the Nanaimo airport. So about 45 minutes from here. So when you start as an instructor, you kind of start as an apprentice and then you work through these different levels. So I was in like my third level, flying sun up to sundown, doing the horses before work, doing the horses after work and just kind of running around, making as much money as I could and spending as much time in the air as I could. And when you start out flying, and I think the industry's changed a little bit now, but when you start out flying, you really just have to kind of sell your soul and <laughs> work like nonstop. So that's what I was doing. Anytime the weather was flyable, I, I was at the airport and, and instructing. But yeah, I actually left this farm the year after I was 25. And then I came back here right when I started school a couple of years ago. So it's interesting that I've kind of come pretty much full circle back to the, the physical place that I was in 25 years ago. Yeah, I was going to say that you had like a full circle moment, hey? <laughs> Very much so, yeah. Yeah, it's different. There's different players on the stages. But this place where I've, where I've had my horses over the years and had the luxury of living, it's just it's such a beautiful place to land and piece of land. And I just am so grateful to be able to kind of land back here during the transition periods of my life, which is certainly what I feel like I'm in right now. I love that. Yeah, like a nice, calm space to decompress especially when you're like in a transition moment like it can be can feel like a lot so yeah. I'm happy to hear that and no I love what you were saying about being 25 you know like spending the day flying but also going back to the barn and like spending time with the horses it's just so magical it sounds very magical <laughs> <laughs> I think it was and I I think it, I think maybe I was working too hard or, or moving too fast to really note how magical it was. But looking back, I can see that I'm very grateful to have been able to do two things that I really, really enjoyed and that filled me up, even if it, even if I was doing them at such a pace that I wasn't really giving myself time to think about it. <laughs> yeah. And Bertie, you were really busy, like you were saying, you know, just like go, 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 go. So now I want to ask you, what do you think When you were 25, during that time, what was your vision of the world or did you follow a religion or what was your biggest belief back then? Yeah, great question. Um, I would say, I mean, what correlated with probably how, why I was so busy, I think my biggest driver was that working really hard and productivity and demonstrating confidence equaled success for me. So if I could just like work as hard as I could and prove that I deserve to be somewhere, you know, and show up longer hours than everybody else and <laughs> just basically run myself into the ground, then that would demonstrate success for me. And I think that's something that's really changed over the last 10 years for me. But at that time in my life, you know, you're trying to, you're young, you're in your early 20s, you're you're trying to figure out where you're going in the world. You want to, for me, I wanted to be taken seriously. So that meant working really hard and demonstrating that I was confident and then the world would take me seriously and I would have value and have worth. So no specific religion 
Houston, although I grew up in a family. I'm the youngest of five, and both my parents worked, but my mom was the one who worked a lot. Like, she was much more career-focused, and she went a lot maybe further if there was a measuring stick in, in her career than my father did. And, and so I think she was a big driver for me to, like, just go out and, like, really take over the world and do whatever you can. And I think at 25, that was that was still a major theme in my head was just kind of, like work, 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 because that's what's going to make you successful and that's what's going to get you somewhere. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, even like it was like that for me and like I'm still trying to work through that, you know, like we, what we were just talking like, yeah, like being in university and like doing this project and also having a full time job. And then that leads to burnout and burnout can lead to other things. So, so yeah, it can definitely be a driver, especially at that age when everyone always telling you that the world is your oyster. And yeah, but we also need to like rest. <laughs> when I look back on those years, I just think, man, I wish I would have like Like so many of my friends, there were, I, I missed like big group trips with friends or I missed my friends' weddings and things like that because I just was putting work ahead of everything, right? Like I was like, if this isn't around my career, then it has to be second place. And I think in a lot of ways, it was really unbalanced. And it took me a long time to, to start to find that balance. But, you know, it must have been a root belief that I that I had to do that for some reason to prove productivity. At least that's what it looks like looking back. Yeah, because everyone talks about the glory, but they don't talk about the grit, which is so important. <laughs> yeah, there's a big cost to, wor to working that hard and kind of shoving everything else off of your plate. Yeah. And Birdie, because we were just talking about that and how it has taken you a little bit, of, you know, trying to find that balance. I want to ask you, from when you were 25 to this day, what has changed? I know it can be a lot, but <laughs> feel free to share whatever, like, you know, is most significant to you. Sure. Yeah. 25 to, to now. I mean, For me, I would say what I value has really changed. Like I productivity and kind of those previous measurements of what I thought success were has really shifted to me. It's still shifting and I'm learning to kind of reassess my worth in the world based on just my inherent energy and presence rather than how much I get done in a day. So that's still a work and a work in progress, but that's a big shift. I think I've I've stepped off of the the rat race treadmill if, if I was ever on it and then I would also say in as far as the world goes I would say when I was 25 I really didn't have much connection to kind of the big picture of the world like my awareness 25 to now has greatly shifted in that my lens has just really really widened alongside and I think that's a theme like you know alongside this like you gotta succeed you gotta tower like follow this tower and get to the top it's all about yeah. kind of the separateness and demonstrating your individuality and I think I've really come to learn things in a different direction and value things in a different direction at this stage in my life which is that I see you know that separateness and that individualism I mean maybe as a trauma response but certainly as a weakness I think that coming into like value our connections in the world and I think I've is has been a strong theme for me and I think that that's something that's come with widening my lens and like just looking at the bigger picture of not just what I'm experiencing not just what the people in my town are experiencing looking at what people are experiencing in all different environments on all different pieces of land all over this earth and just kind of understanding 
I think now I think of the world as like a collective identity. There's places where we're really thriving and there's places where we're really, really struggling. But I don't think I had any awareness of that when I was 25. I think I was honestly quite like selfish and just thinking about myself and my own career. And I think almost everything I approach, you know, in the last kind of three to five years is is much more heartfelt, which sometimes is, is hard to feel, you know, all the suffering that is in the world. But I think it's a much wider lens than than when I was 25. I think I was I was pretty narrow minded at that time of my life. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, like that resonates a lot, especially like, uh, I don't know, like the more you learn, it's Yeah, like the more you learn about how the world works, like I remember I have a diploma in journalism, so I would be like, yeah, like I want to do this career, I want to learn, you know, discover more about the world. And I mean, I, I did some freelance writing, I didn't work as a journalist for a news outlet, but it's like just educating myself more or, for example, everything that we learned in uni, he was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I want to learn more about the world. <laughs> Like, it can be so overwhelming. But, Birdie, also, like, going back to what you were telling me, for example, you said, like, oh, like, I got out of the rat race if I ever was in one, and valuing more, like, this interconnectedness in the community and having a wider lens of the world. So, now, can you tell us what are your beliefs and what do you do? I think I have a lot of beliefs, and I haven't quite figured out how to move back into the world with them now that I have now that I'm like oh I'm I know that I really care about this and I could always go back into aviation and I think my ego wants to go back to aviation because it's a place where I was confident and I'm still confident and I do enjoy flying it's a challenge and it's, it can be interesting in different environments and I also like being a, a woman in a male-dominated environment and I think that's something that kept me going in the industry for a long time but I think what I value maybe now is just like it's kind of the same theme like we're I don't really believe that we're just one thing I think that we have all of these kind of sides to ourselves and I have this feeling that if I went back into aviation in the capacity that I was doing it before that I'm sure I would be very successful from an outside viewer's perspective but I think I would be you know turning away from all of these other parts of myself and I have the luxury of being able to explore those parts of myself which I know is a luxury and it's a strong advantage like I know there's a lot of people who don't have the capacity your opportunity or just availability to to pursue different career options or different education opportunities. There's a part of me that feels like a responsibility, like I have to do that. So I would say what I really believe in now is honoring like relationship over task, like trying to maintain a relationship more than trying to like finish or a task, like getting to the end of a finish line. So that's important to me. I think moving slowly is important to me, which I'm still working yes. on. <laughs> and then just like checking in like with our bodies and our kind of own intuition more often, because I think we all know how we feel inside if we can slow down enough to kind of like check in with it and really kind of tune into ourselves. And I think that each of us have gifts. And if we slow down enough and say like, does this feel right for me? Like, is this what feels connected in my body? I think if we follow those yeses or those no's, then we will each kind of find a path that's very unique to us, but also something that we maybe couldn't have thought of through our own head. Like, I think we really have to come, start coming back into our bodies to be listening to that intuition. So that's, that's a big guide for me at this point in my life. But yeah, as far as what I do, so I'm, I 
take over as the barn manager. So I'm looking after horses again through school. Uh, I was working at the SPCA just as a kind of animal care attendant, but I quit that job a few months ago. I'm still a volunteer at the SPCA. I have also been doing some trainings in something called equine facilitated wellness, Mm -hmm. which is people working with horses and using them as co-facilitators to bring about learnings for people. So whether the way I imagine using it is kind of pairing it with our communication studies, maybe like getting people to work with horses and building leadership skills, building communication skills. A lot of it is about like just reading energy and tuning into your own body. So aligned with what I was saying before, but I I really think that there's so much to learn from the natural world and horses have been such a big teacher in my life. And I just find EFW as this kind of little sweet spot opportunity that, you know, you could link in with whatever you're interested in and help kind of bring people to a new learning whatever it is they're looking for so yeah efw work i'm doing the horse work i'm trying to figure out what type of communication work i'm gonna do now that i'm a professional communicator and i'm doing some my brother just started a another company so i'm doing some online work for him building his website but a little bit of everything still undecided about what i'm gonna do as a a career coming out of this But you know what? I love that a little bit of everything because I'm like that too. Like I have my corporate job and I do this and like every now and then like I do like other stuff. So I would say that I like what you said about it at the beginning about like undefined. Because I was reading this post on Instagram about creatives and it says like, oh, you don't have to make sense. Just do whatever you want to do. You don't have to like put yourself in a box. So when you were just saying that everything you're doing, like, yes, I love that. <laughs> It's a lot of fun. I think sometimes maybe I, I try to do too many things and I could do better by just doing less. But it is nice, like I said, to have the opportunity to explore a lot of different things. Thank you, Birdie. And now I want to ask you, what has been your biggest challenge and how do you deal or dealt with it? Doing too much is a big one, (laughs) speaking of what we were just talking about, which is kind of tied into, yeah, I don't know, just believing you always kind of have to constantly be on the move. But for me, yeah, doing too much and also mental health. Like I think that, and I think those two things are tied closely together for me, but You know, over the period of, yeah, the last 15 years of my life, I think right from when I was 19, there's been some high highs and some really low lows. And I think learning to take care of yourself through the things that you experience in the world and managing what can be kind of labeled as mental health has been a, yeah, it's been something that has continually, when I'm not doing it, it gets drawn to my attention quite quickly. So that's a big one for me. And I think when I got really into yoga and when I eventually did my yoga teacher training, that was a tool I used to really kind of support myself and support my mental health. So flying, I found, was very much like a high-intensity mental game. You know, I was working on a lot of high-stress environments. But physically, I was sitting, you know, sitting static in a chair of an airplane most of the day. So yoga was a place that I could counter that kind of static energy with some physical movement, but also connect back to my breath and my mind in a way that was healthy and not not just like outward numbing or outward kind of (laughs) Mm self-sabotage I think when I was younger there was a lot of the drinking culture and don't know if there was a lot of people really 
kind of balancing themselves in healthy ways that I saw. So being able to kind of find yoga and then spend time on my mat as a tool to ground myself became a really, a really valuable asset for me. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, especially what you say. I, mean, I couldn't imagine doing that, like being like in such a high stress environment when you're Well, I mean, I've been in high-stress environments at work, but not, like, up in the air, you know? <laughs> so, like, that's that's a lot, right? And then I know that our brains, they can get addicted to the, like, adrenaline and, like, the high stress. So I'm glad that you found a way to canalize all of that through yoga. That is really wonderful. Yeah, no, it's, and the stress is different for different people. You know, I've had a lot of people over the years say that to me, like, oh, that must be so stressful, and... I mean, it, flying to me isn't stressful. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have chosen it as a <laughs> exactly, job. Like, yeah. it's actually quite relaxing to me. But, you know, certainly some of the, you know, when things go wrong, they start to go really wrong. And I can appreciate that that's high stress. I also think, you know, there's people in jobs on on the earth every day that are very, very high stress. And, you know, the toll on their nervous system is also extreme. So I, I think maybe as a Western culture, it just seems like everyone's, really gotten used to overactivating their nervous system and I'm not sure we're we're as good at coming down and into the kind of healing states of our nervous system as we could be. I think we would better be better as a collective if we all learned to settle ourselves down as much as we revved ourselves up. Oh yeah, the world will be so much better. <laughs> yeah. And Birdie, I want to ask you now if you could share about a time in which you succeeded. So what happened and what did you do? Success for me and something I'm really proud of is how far I got with my flying career before I kind of took a sidestep away from it before I started school a couple of years ago. You know, I worked my way up from a flight instructor to running a flight school, wow. working as a chief pilot. And then I did that for five years and then I moved on and went and, went and worked for another company where I was doing like maritime surveillance. So we had 65 pilots total in the company and I was one of three women so you know a, a very male-dominated environment kind of like old boys club ex-military kind of mindset and you know, I started there as a rookie and I, I worked my way up to aircraft commander and I was the only girl at our base I was the youngest person there by 15 or 20 years and I worked my way up to you know being a team lead and running these missions offshore with five or six people on board and that was really something that building that trust within the crew, especially as a minority, I think, and having everyone trust me and really kind of believe in me and look to me for leadership, I, I couldn't really see it at the time. But once I'd been in that position for a while, I looked around and I was like, oh, wow, you really did it. Like, this is what you wanted. And you set your eyes on this and you got your airline transport pilot license and you've been working for this for 10 years. And like, look at you, you're here. Right. So that feels like a big success to me for sure. Because I think I just set my sight on a goal and it, it took a long time to get there. But eventually I, I got to a place where I was really proud of myself and, and also felt like my crew counted on me and trusted me. And that really meant a lot to me. Yeah, congratulations. I love hearing about that. You were building the path for, I'm sure, many others to come. So props to you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you definitely should be proud about that. You were determined. <laughs> And Bertie, now I want to ask you quite the opposite. So if you could share a time in which you failed, whatever that means for you, what happened? How did you handle the situation? And what did you learn? 
I think my biggest failure, and I would say like personal failure, not, I have no idea. I'm sure there's other people who look at other areas of my life and have a different opinion on what failure is. But from my point of view, I think what feels like a, a time where I really let myself down or failed in my early 20s, where before I'd started flying as a career, I was just kind of flying for fun. I went to school to be an equine therapist. So it's a two-year certification program, which I love the school and I just kind of dove right into it. And then when I went to do my final exams, we had like five practical exams and five written exams. And, you know, I, I sailed through the practical exams and I got through three of my written exams, but I failed two of them. And then I went back, like I was so defeated. I was like, oh, I can't believe this because you know, I knew the material. I could do it with the horses. I could do the the work. I could point out which muscles were which. I could make the physical adjustments on the horses. But the book work was something that I just didn't dedicate myself enough to. I didn't have the memorization down. And I went back and we got to rewrite our exams if we if we didn't pass and we had a single chance to rewrite. So I went back and I rewrote the two that I failed and I passed one of them. <laughs> but I failed the second one. And my the man who ran the school, actually he made he and his wife were just the, the most special people. I learned so much from that course. But he gave me an opportunity to come back and rewrite the the exam that I'd failed twice. And I was so ashamed of myself for <laughs> having failed it not once but twice <laughs> that I never went back. And it was interesting because I mean, if looking back on that time in my life, like I was probably going through one of the like lowest points I'd ever been through. Like I've never really associated with the term depression, but kind of refer to it as low life force. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was certainly a period of my life where I was having a really rough time and I didn't give myself any credit. I just was like so caught up in the shame associated with the failure that I was like, oh, this is just, I just have to cut and run. This is too much. This is too gross. I can't show up here because I'm, I'm just a failure. And looking back, oh my gosh, once you go through a few up and downs in your life and you look back, you just think like, bird, I wish, bird, if you could do anything, (laughs) time travel back and go push that shame off the table and go write that exam. It's just, it's just, one of those things it's probably one of the only things in my life I wish I could go back and shift but I think what I learned from it really is that you just you can't pour from an empty cup um I don't you know I think I if I had been managing my mental health better if I had been prioritizing myself or maybe doing better with my self-care I could have showed up better right so I have an appreciation that like I really just didn't have it in me and I maybe didn't need to be so hard on myself but it is something I I really wish had gone differently and it took me a long time to kind of learn to sit with and it still makes me a little uncomfortable but I I know that we're not perfect so that was a hard one for me. Yeah no thank you for your honesty and for sharing that with us. I'm sorry to hear about that and yeah like you said at the end there yeah sometimes we can be too hard on ourselves and we don't have to (laughs) you know like we don't have to be so but like you said right if it was would have been a a useful tool and it you know just a little bit more softness with myself would have might have actually enabled me to go back and 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 face that right but when you're only meeting yourself with like tough love it's not what you need sometimes you really need some softness and some compassion and I think that is not something I had for myself at that age yeah 
Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. And yeah, like you said, yeah, I was going to say that too. Like what you said, you know, you can pour from an empty cup, but it's also like give yourself some grace, right? Like you were going through such a hard time going back to the compassion <laughs> piece. But yeah, now thank you again, Bertie, for saying that. And now I want to ask what has motivated you or what motivates you? Yeah, uh, so many things, I would say. The like the natural world is a big motivator for me, which I, I think it's kind of funny that we call it like nature or the natural world, like it's separate from us because I very much believe that we are of the earth and yeah. a part of all of these natural systems. But I do see like the power of nature and the forest and the ocean and, you know, the kind of like ability for these things to just continue growing, like the way that little flowers will grow through cement. Like I think the natural world is a big source of motivation for me because it just continues to find a way to live, even if it's it's not the way it originally looked. And I, I find a lot of beauty and also, yeah, motivation in that. I think that's connected to, you know, I have a lot of animals in my life. Animals, to me, the same thing. They're like teachers, guides, definitely motivators to kind of create a better world. All of those things tie into connection. Like I really feel motivated when I feel connected to people in my community, to consciousness across the globe, to the forest, to the ocean. So I think any type of connection kind of makes me feel alive and makes me feel inspired. And then I think something that ties all those together is just powerful stories. So you mentioned in your your kind of outline when you start this podcast is like we learn so much from listening. And I think that's really true whether it's sitting down with a book and it's you one on one or you're listening audibly to a conversation or a story. I think there's so much we can learn from the way that other people have experienced the world. And when I hear a story that like really hits me, I know that I can see across many levels of my life that those have been things that have inspired me or motivated me to to actually take action or or make shifts in my life or just keep going. Like sometimes you just need a story to, to get you to keep going. So that's a big one for sure. Yes, I love that. I was smiling when you were talking about connectedness with nature. Yeah, nature nurtures and even what you you mentioned about the stories, right? Like just sometimes you need stories to keep going. <laughs> Like for motivation, inspiration, or to keep going, like sometimes it can get really tough. So just learning from other people's experiences, it's like, I don't know, for me, it's like it makes you feel less alone. It's like, you know, you're not alone going through whatever you're going through. And that's really comforting. Again, like we're all here to help each other and like be here for each other, which I think goes back to that connection. And I think that like stories can do exactly what you say. Like they pull us out of that isolation mindset. Like, yeah. oh, I'm the only person who's ever experienced this and this is so awful. It's like you hear a story reflected back and you can see someone else's experience, lived experience or hear it. And there's so much commonality between humans and I think yes. we forget that and hearing stories can just like wake up those little parts of you that make you think you're all alone and reconnect you to all of the connections that are that are continually available and yeah you really said it right on there it is it pulls you out of your aloneness I think that stories can do that yeah thank you Brody I know you mentioned at the beginning that you're kind of like in this transition pace but I want to ask what are your goals or plans for the future Yeah, great question. I ask myself this almost every day. <laughs> I've always been a big writer and I have 
couple collections of poems. So I'd like to some sometime in the future get out a, a collection, one or two collections of poetry. And then I would also like to write at least one other type of book. I think writing's been a big guide for me in my life, and whether that's reading, spending lots of time with books, or just my own writing, you know, as a way to kind of work through things and process things. So that is something I would like to do. I would also like to kind of just be a, you know, use the all of the tools we learned through our professional communication degree to yeah. just continually create and hold like safe spaces, whether that's in work environments or community environments or personal relationship environments. I just I'm not quite sure what it looks like yet, but it's it's really important to me to make sure that people get to show up kind of as they are or with whatever they're comfortable revealing at that point. And I think that ties for me into the EFW work, the equine facilitated wellness work that I've been, I have one more level to complete, but I, I can work as a practitioner now. So I've started working with some people and some of the kids in my family, and I'd really like to build that out and maybe kind of have it as like a side business. And I think all of those things, if I can, you know, keep moving with them and keep believing in myself, I think that would just help me kind of build confidence outside of the productivity mindset, which I have previously built confidence in. So <laughs> that's a major goal for me is to like find my footing and feel confident, maybe offering things that are less tangible than flying an airplane, but to me, potentially a lot more valuable, like communication skills or relationship skills or listening and, and all that stuff. Yeah, that's really wonderful. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I was smiling when you were talking about yeah, to like practicing the wellness, but also about the poetry. Yeah, I do see you like a poet, so keep us posted. <laughs> I will. I will. Thank you. And Brody, I have a couple more questions, but if you could go back to when you were 25, would you change anything or make things different? I think I would have done, like, I would have gone, been a lot easier myself if that was consciously possible. And I think I would have taken more opportunities to have fun, like, you know, go and do those events with my friends, like go to my friend's wedding instead of working mm -hmm. all weekend. Like, what a... <laughs> Egghead. The things you can't take back are those shared experiences with people. And I, I think I, um, I put career ahead of that at that point in my life. And I would go back and, and redo that. And then I would also just say like less focus on romantic turmoil. Like I was inside of work. There was just the boys. Like there was always some <laughs> drama with some boy. And I was so, I just would let it like take me to these again, high highs or low lows. And oh gosh, like they just come and go like the weather. And like, you don't need to get so caught up in it. Like the right one will stay. And uh, I wish I had maybe had a little more trust in that back then. Oh. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> And now I'm going to ask you if, yeah, like what's your advice for today's 20-somethings or what do you wish you knew when you were 25? My advice for, especially at that point in your life where like a lot of the focus is like figuring out how you're going to maybe fit into the world or, or prove yourself or get on with some type of career so that you have something I would say like my wish for for people at that stage in their life would be to like take time each week to really like tune in with your with yourself with your body or do some grounding or breath work like anything even five minutes of mindfulness to just kind of like tune out all of the 
the media, the technology, the outside voices, like really come back in to your own internal wisdom and just do like a bit of a pulse check on what it is that you're doing and if it actually aligns with your values and if it aligns with what feels good in your spirit and in your body. Because I think people can really follow what feels good in their body and not in their ego or in what somebody else tells them what to do. I think, you know, a lot of examples of when people lead with that part of themselves and I think really, really beautiful things happen. That's definitely my wish for <laughs> for 25-year-olds and for anyone else who's still breathing on the planet today. Yeah. Thank you very much. I love that. Especially, like you said, a lot of like external voices, lots of noise. For me, even with this project, lots of people say that. <laughs> And it's funny because we're listening to them, but they're saying like, you know, take a couple of minutes, get some times where you can have silence because then all the answers will come to you, right? And what you said about the internal wisdom. So I think it's pretty much connected to that. And Bertie, it's been a pleasure. I just want to ask before I go, if there is anything you'd like to share that you think it's important and I didn't ask you. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a real joy just to even just be in dialogue with you. It's, it's so funny what can just come from a conversation. But the only thing I would add is like, I think something that maybe kind of sang too loud of a lead line in most of my 20s was like, I had this thing where I was like, the parts of me that weren't working, I thought maybe I had to like fix myself. And there was this obsession with fixing myself. And I mm -hmm. think now I can see like, I think that was actually just taking me farther away from myself. And so I would just, I just hope for everyone to like have this maybe like curiosity around what it is that is hard for them or what it is that hurts them because I feel like I've learned that the parts maybe that you think are broken are where your magic is and I think if you can move toward that and then lean on support systems be a part of communities like place yourself inside of a wheel of relations and like really feel the connections that you have and the support you have from all of the people who have raised you and all of the land that has raised you. And I just think there's feeling where we kind of feel like we have to do everything alone. And I think if you can just remember that you're, you're really not alone and you actually don't have to do it alone and you're not supposed to do it alone. So move toward the stuff that hurts, but, but do it in a way that's supportive to you and, and lean on the people and the support systems that are available because I just think we're all, like Robin Wall Kimmerer writes about, like we're all interconnected. And I, I think that's the more natural way of being than this kind of like do-it-by-yourself mindset that I think just really isolates us and ends up hurting us a lot more. So that's my wish. And I would just, yeah, again, say thank you. Thanks for having me and thank you for following your own creative impulses to start this project halfway through your <laughs> undergrad <laughs> degree. I have no idea how you had the energy to do that. But I'm very proud of you and I am proud to contribute and I am excited to see what comes next for you. Thank you so much, Bertie. And yeah, just to quote Robin Walkimer too, like all flourishing is mutual, right? So yeah. Yes. I love that. Thank you for reminding me. Yes. Yeah, it's ingrained in my head now. So like I'm gonna quote that woman for the rest of my life. <laughs> That reminds me, one thing I've started doing this year when I'm walking through the forest, and I'm sure it's from reading that book, is I used to think I would go to the forest and I would feel better. Like I would be like, oh, I would go to the forest and go for a walk and then I feel better. And now something I've started doing or saying as I walk through the forest is like, I am better for being here, but the forest is also better for having me here. <laughs> 
Aww. you know, like that, that reciprocity, right? Like yes. believing that we, we have value, the trees value us as much as we value them. And I think, yeah, we all flourish together is such a great way to wrap that all up. Got shivers. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Rudy, for your time and yeah, for sharing your story with us. I super appreciate it. I'm happy to, happy to offer my time and, uh, Yeah, we'll talk soon, I'm sure. Thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to support the show, you can share this episode with your friends, community, or with someone who may benefit from this conversation. You can also rate the show and leave a review and follow it on Instagram at project25.podcast. This is a one-woman show, so if you feel like donating as another way to support, you can go to paypal.me slash project25podcast. And finally, if you'd like to share your story or know someone who does, feel free to email me at andrea.project25 at gmail.com. You can also send me your comments and suggestions in case you want to see someone you like here. And that's all from me. Bye-bye!